0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the first episode for season four of Pope Francis Generation. Paul, good to have you back, and it is good to be back.
1: Yes, we are recording this on uh, the Feast of the Sacred Heart. I don't know when it's going to come out, but it's a good
0: day. That's a beautiful place to begin. I I love the Sacred Heart. So if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I am now pushing a beard. I'm trying to give Paul a run for his money. Um, has a and- few more
1: gray hairs than mine, Dominic.
0: It it does actually doesn't it? And like that's what one more year will do for you. <laughs> um, good. This is going to be. I mean, my goodness, do we have a cool new lineup for this this new season? You sent me a list of like prospective guests. So looking forward to getting into all of that today, Paul. We're chatting about the theme of alienation. Can why are we opening season four with this discussion?
1: Yeah. Um... I've been listening to, there's there, there was another Catholic podcast I've listened to, and then I've received feedback from from several listeners over the past few months. Uh, and this theme keeps coming up, uh, the experience of feeling alienated in church spaces where mm-hmm. you once felt at home. And it yeah. resonated with my own experience. And I think it resonates a lot with um, the mission of this podcast. So I wanted to dive That's into true. that.
0: Yeah, well, that, that seems like <clears throat> coming back to... Well, our, our roots. So we opened the episode with the, the three things that have reoriented us in, in our lives and in our approach to faith uh, and being Christian, being Catholic at all. So this is actually kind of an interesting um, return to what prompted us to want to take those three themes more, more seriously at all. So this is I'm looking forward to this one. Um, so friends, hello and welcome to Pope Francis Generation. It's the show for Catholics struggling with the church's teaching, who feel like they might not belong in the church anymore, and who still hunger for a God of love and goodness.
1: Your hosts are me, Paul Fahey, a professional catechist.
0: And I'm Dominic, someone who needs catechesis. Together we're taking our own look at the Catholic Church, her teachings and practices from three views that changed our world. And those
1: are the Kerygma, the Doctrine of Theosis, and the Teachings of Pope Francis.
0: Together with you, we're the Pope Francis generation. All right, where do you want to begin? How do you... Well, actually, before we begin, in the interim between the last two seasons, you've run a workshop on a papal document. How did that go?
1: Yeah, I actually ran two. Um, I ran my first one as season three was finishing up, and that was on Pope Francis's document on the liturgy from last year called... called, uh, Shoot, the Latin's difficult. Desiderio desiderave.
0: gets me every time.
1: Um, and Which is,
0: I have desired with great desire. Yeah, it's like a, said, right?
1: it's just an emphasis. I've greatly desired or emphatically mm-hmm. desired or desire desired. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's a phenomenal document. I've read through it um, a few times. And then uh, the, the focus of it is what Francis does is he picks up on Vatican II. And it, it's deeply grounded in the uh, the liturgical teachings of Vatican II. But the focus that Francis gives it is the liturgy is an outgrowth of God's desire for me. And it's where I encounter God's mm. desire for me. So God's desire for me is the center of it. And um, we had um, about, I think, about six, eight people in that workshop. Nice. And it was phenomenal. And the discussion was great. Mm. Um, And then uh, I
0: love the profound like (laughs) reorientation of that as opposed to we're showing up for the weekly remembrance of a ritual sacrifice. It's like, no, no, this is, as you said, the outpouring of God's relentless love for us. The
1: the way that Francis talks about it in one place in the document is he's like, uh, the idea of Jesus isn't enough. The historical reality of Jesus is enough, but actually we have to encounter Jesus alive in our life. In order for christianity to be real and we do that and he he goes on this litany where he's like we have to be the woman at the well who jesus speaks to we have to be the man who's blind who jesus heals we have to be all these characters from the gospels that jesus personally encounters and the way that we personally encounter christ is in the liturgy and that that's the heart of our faith
0: mm-hmm. yeah beautiful so um, it went well and, and then you went on to do another one
1: yeah, so um, a month or so after that, um, and I, I'm just wrapping up next week. The I'm doing a workshop on uh, "Rejoice and be glad," or the Latin is "Gaudete et exultate," mm-hmm. and that's Pope Francis's document on um, on the universal call to holiness. Again, picking up from Vatican II, and wow. it is. I've gone through this document six or eight times, and it is a profoundly. Um, it is both deep and very practical. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some chapters that feel like you're in Pope Francis's classroom and mm-hmm. some classes where you feel like you see your own spiritual director. And yeah, I have a small group again, uh, half a dozen people going through that. And <laughs> I, I, I was telling someone I have paid my dues. I have like uh, uh, paid my dues. That makes it sound too negative. I have, uh, if if working for a parish for eight years and teaching class after class of high school students or, or parents of kids preparing for First Communion, none of whom wanted to be there, mm-hmm. teaching them, if that's like, you know, potatoes yeah. and vegetables, these workshops are like dessert because it's a group of people who yeah. uh, absolutely want to learn and absolutely want to get everything they can out of these documents. So the discussion is just uh, phenomenal. Yeah, it's so great.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, I've I've experienced that too. Um, Well, with the job that I have currently, but also like working with Smart Catholics or heck working with you, where uh, I put in my time, learned what the lessons I need to learn working with agencies and web design and stuff and some wonderful clients and plenty who were mad and did not want to be there on the calls. And so learn the skills of politeness, and communication and whatever, and now get to come and actually enjoy using that or or learning that.
1: and I enjoy teaching at the parish, but there's a difference between eating your broccoli, even though it tastes yeah. <laughs> good, and then getting the cake afterwards. There's a yeah. different experiences. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, yeah, other than that, uh, like more personally, I have I started my internship. I'm in my last year of my uh, master's program for counseling. Mm-hmm. So now I've actually started seeing clients on my own. I'm the one wow. in the room that, that they're looking to, to... Uh, to actually help them and it's really intimidating and, and really remind fulfilling. us of the
0: remind us of the the position or the work that you do
1: yeah so I am a um, so I'm an intern right now but uh at, at the end of May or mm-hmm. beginning of May next year um, I will graduate with a master's in clinical mental health counseling and I will nice. um, then become licensed as a um, as a professional counselor
0: fantastic that is awesome that's awesome. Cool. Okay, so you've been busy. Um, you even you still have another workshop coming up in Father's Heart Academy, so we can yep, pitch that yep. maybe towards the end. Or you want to? Yeah, I'll ju-
1: I'll just talk about it now. That'll be probably mid to late fall, probably October or so, mm-hmm. and that's going to be on Francis's document for Telly Tuti, nice. uh, his um his really pivotal social mm-hmm. encyclical that came out during the pandemic. Yep. So,
0: I do like your the point that you made about. How um, easy and conversational he is to get into. Like I recently reread his book, um, "Let Us Dream," and I like even his homilies or when, whenever he's writing something. It's like I would love for him to be the the priest in the confessional that I go to, and that's how he writes and so often how how he speaks with that level of directness, um, that level of kindness and attention. And I think it's beautiful. It's really what what changed me or moved me, you know, ten, 10 years ago, eight years ago when he became Pope and I started paying attention and listening to how he talked and like, oh, I I get him. I, I like, he's not, although I I like to be smart in air quotes and I like academics and reading stuff, although I hate academic PDFs and papers, Um, I loved that he's somebody who's able to speak so conversationally, uh, yeah. as you know, in a way that say Pope Benedict or, or John Paul didn't.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've heard people say John Paul II was the philosopher, Benedict the theologian, and Francis mm-hmm. is the pastor. And I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, obviously, Benedict and John Paul II were also pastors, and, yeah. and Francis uh, is a very competent theologian uh, mm-hmm. and teacher. But um, I think that that trope r- rings true. Um, mm-hmm. There's something about Francis that's very like, it's very down to earth where even when he's writing in a teaching document for the Mm -hmm. universal church, Mm -hmm. it feels like he's your parish pastor.
0: Yeah. He's, he's learned. I think that that very specific charism of, of the person. All right. Let's, let's dive into today's show. We're talking about um, alienation.
1: Yeah. So um, there's a few different things that prompted me to want, to launch season four, talking about this. One is, uh, we started this podcast just over a year ago Mm -hmm. and our first episode was walking through our three pillars that we mentioned at the beginning of every episode, the Mm charisma, the doctrine of theosis, and the teachings of Pope Francis. And I, and I was thinking, man, be nice to revisit those, but not have the the same episode that we did a -hmm. year ago. Um, so that was kind of floating in the back of my mind. And then, um, I listened to uh another catholic podcast about a month ago and um they had a guest on who uh she was reflecting on her experience on i think catholic twitter on social media uh at the beginning of the pandemic the first few months of the pandemic and um uh she i believe was was pregnant and at the time and she was taking I mean, like nobody knew what COVID was. She was being extra, extra precautious. Um, But she shared a story of how someone she'd worked with before, a colleague of hers in ministry, Mm -hmm. um, someone who she thought was a good and reasonable person, Mm -hmm. posted something on Twitter or Facebook comparing the, the COVID lockdowns in the first few weeks of the pandemic to the Nazis rounding up the Jews and putting them in ghettos, preparing them to go to a concentration camp. Hmm. She talked about how she just felt incredibly shocked. Like, uh, not only is this uh borderline or more than borderline anti-Semitic, but she was like, it's, it's so profoundly not true. Like it's just apparently unreasonable. And she's like, um, she didn't use these words, but what she was describing and I resonated, like <laughs> I was feeling emotional as I was listening to it. Mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know that experience of like waking up one day and looking around you and being like these people who I trusted, mm-hmm. I don't know if I trust them anymore. Like the, this community or this, this Catholic space that I felt like was my home that I felt like yeah. I belonged in. Mm-hmm. I now feel alienated from, cause not, cause I necessarily changed, but I felt like that, that it moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this feeling of being, being alienated and, Catholic circles
0: waking up and finding that you're not at home where you thought you were.
1: Yeah. Um, and where a lot of your identity came from. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I heard that in the podcast and it also, uh, it made me realize, um, at least three different people, listeners of the podcast have reached out to me in the past two or three months. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've had ongoing conversations through chat, through email. And, um, they've shared in their own words and in their own catholic spaces mm-hmm. this exact same experience uh so whether it was for like um, a political movement or because of uh, traditionalism or because of the pandemic or because of any number of reasons where it was like they woke up one day in these catholic spaces that were once their home uh, no longer felt like their home and actually felt hostile um yeah and because those stories again resonated so much with my own i was thinking back, thinking back you know the past you know eight years or so of my life
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i've experienced that several different times um but also like i'm still here and mm-hmm. i still i still love the church by the grace of god i still love the church um yeah. and why why do i love the church and then It went back to, oh, because of the charisma and -hmm. the theosis and the teachings of Pope Francis. Um, So, yeah, that's kind of, uh, I'm actually not sure how this episode is going to look. I don't really have an outline. I just have a whole bunch of stuff I'm throwing at the wall. But that's the general theme we're putting it under.
0: Let's throw it and tell stories.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I was thinking about those times in the past several years when I've, experience that because back in college so uh, I graduated college undergrad in 2012 uh back in college i was uh i would describe myself a uh, like uh, a conservative culture warrior um mm-hmm. and pro-life activist yeah um I mean I was like looking back I'm a little bit embarrassed uh I was pretty overtly antagonistic towards like the towards like the Women's Studies group on campus. However, as the president of the Students for Life Club, I did do a joint uh, event with them um, during my senior year that uh, um, bringing awareness to human trafficking. And I was really proud to be able to um, to find common ground and collaborate with them. But there were moments before that where I was unnecessarily antagonistic. Uh, I mean, I even participated in a like um, anonymous underground uh, campus newspaper that was, uh, again, pretty antagonistic. Um, yeah, I would, I would describe myself as like a conservative pro-life culture warrior. Yeah. And I felt wow. very comfortable in that space. And a mm-hmm. lot of my identity came from being in that space. Mm-hmm. And then after college, and not right away, but in the years after college, um, I just began to be, Became to be more aware of Catholic social teaching, which um, kind of brought me back to my roots to some extent. So, mm-hmm. uh, my dad was so this is like in the nineteen seventies. Um, he was a um, a blue collar uh, Catholic uh, Catholic Democrat uh, labor union guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, now in, you know, in, in the 90s and 2000s when I was growing up, um, very, very, he was very involved in the pro-life movement, but he, he still had these, like, these working class Democrat roots mm-hmm. that very much lined up with uh, Catholic social teaching, mm-hmm. so I started investigating Catholic social teaching, and um, I was really compelled by it, and started growing and reframing my own social and political views because of it. And then uh the 2016 election happened and in 2015 and into 2016 I was watching um people who I thought uh, were really reasonable super Catholic super pro-life people
0: <laughs> yeah
1: not just like not just you know hold their nose and mm-hmm. uh, and vote for Donald Trump because well he's better than Better than the other guy, but mm-hmm. like wholeheartedly not just endorse but defend this guy. Yeah, um, I remember the moment the tape came out, the audio tape, where, um, uh, where you know he's like, you know, when you're rich and powerful, you can, uh, uh, you, you can just grab women, right? Yeah, it, it was just so disgusting to anyone with any type of like moral integrity. Mm-hmm. and then i saw people defending this and then i saw people um defending uh once he was president defending his uh his uh, his immigration policies his deportation policies mm-hmm. um and i it was like <laughs> during that whole year i i kept being surprised where i'm like holy cow these are people who i trusted these are people who present themselves as so pro-life and so Catholic, do they Mm -hmm. not see what they're supporting or do they Mm -hmm. not care and this space, this Catholic pro-life space that was once my identity for a very long time uh, I I felt like not only was I an outsider but that I was now like an enemy of that space to some way Mm -hmm. I was like, hey, maybe we shouldn't vote for trump maybe we shouldn't be supporting these policies and that made that made me an outsider Mm -hmm. uh that was my first really distinct experience um of this
0: yeah yeah i'm trying to think what kind of happened for for my life where i was kind of pushed over the edge um I remember, so as a good, I don't know, a benchmark, if you were to imagine some of the discourse going on right now, if you were to imagine growing up with Father Altman and Taylor Marshall, um, that was my family. That was my home life, basically, uh, in terms of attitudes and how to be Catholic and like apocalyptic conspiracy thinking and gender roles and whatever. So that's my childhood. And that's what I have come out of or desperately tried to get away from or escape from. And that's then created other problems, like being afraid of swinging too far the other way. And, you know, so trying to find that attentive, reverent balance and so on. But, um, when I was a teen is when I discovered politics, my dad was always into that sort of stuff. And then I figured out, oh, I can follow some of my, you know, some of these sites and I can report about them at the dinner table and whatever. And so I really got into that and, um, and, uh, kind of made myself the not the whistleblower, but the, the person who brought the news and shared the headlines at the dinner table. And, you know, there's eight kids and and we're all sitting around. We all eat three meals a day together as a family. And I go down to work in the basement, you know, with my dad and maybe a sibling. Um, and we'd worked out of the home. So we're all – it was a very, very close-knit um, mm. uh, situation. And then a couple of times these terrible predictions – Of course, would come up and people were putting their careers on the line. And that next year, this is all going to go down. We're on a three month timeline. And so we're stocking up food and a little bit of prepping. And I don't know how my parents could have afforded like anything like we put garden furniture in the living room and then covered it with a blanket because we couldn't really afford anything. And so they were trying to prep cans and make sure that we could survive things. And and we started looking at our neighborhood as if it was, um, I don't know, hostile well yeah and what we would do to like safeguard each other and and oh. uh keep food and, and what neighbors we would partner with and it was like and then there was always a, a band-aid somebody came up with an idea or something and life went on and we're at a point where we again the, the whole apocalyptic thinking was you know we're we're just on a doomsday clock to the three days of darkness and uh uh everything is you know It's just it's all going to get really really bad and we don't have to i mean a bunch of us kids were wondering why the heck should we be worried about anything why should we finish school uh why should we be trying to get a job
1: if Um, jesus is coming back why why do that not well
0: not even jesus coming back it's like the whole world is going to change and of course there's always the assumption we're going to make it through because we're part of the remnant faithful um but then i think cracks started appearing for me when these predictions didn't pay off and uh i started getting tired of what i've like to call the gilded hysteria of these prophets you know within our own group the group that we grew up with and they'd, they'd look at the culture and they would make these observations and stuff and and then come a point where i'm like i am constantly on the outs and i love a lot of the stuff that kind of makes you in The stuff that's normal, especially in my case, fiction. I love fiction, love games, and so on. Um, And then I went and took one year at Christendom College. And I think that's where (laughs) Our Lady Christ kind of booted in my mental personal doors because I was actually forced to deal with real human beings who didn't think the way I thought. And I loved it. I loved it more than I realized how starved I was for human connection Um, and learning to modulate what I think. Uh, to be appropriate for dealing with other people um, because we were extremely isolated as a family. Um, we didn't get out. We lived far away from everybody. We we lived on like three different continents, you know, so we're so, always separate.
1: So when you're interacting with people, so I was just listening mm-hmm. to a podcast uh, with Brett Sockold, who's going to come on as a guest. He's a, a theologian up in Canada who has a podcast mm-hmm. and um, he, he had a couple episodes on how to talk to your kids about sex, but anyways, As a part of that discussion, he was talking about how, hey, maybe we shouldn't raise our kids telling that anyone who has sexual values differently than we do are terrible people because eventually they're going to grow up and meet people who have different sexual values and realize they're not terrible people. And if you want to drive your kids away from the faith, that's the way to drive your kids away from the faith. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing a similar thing where you're like, where where you grew up in a family that's like the reality is like this and it's a yeah. pretty small circle and now mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're encountering things outside of it. Yeah. What does that do to your faith?
0: Well, I mean, Christendom itself is, it's, it it's leans a pretty small more, bubble. <laughs> well, it is a, it is a small bubble. For me, that was like one giant leap for self kind, but it still trends to be um, more on the, the conservative side rather than centrist or even liberal, I guess. Um, but for me on the deep state deep church, whatever, um, deep fake uh, side of things. What I, th- what I think made it easy for me to walk away and leave all of this stuff was that growing up, we were always on the fringe of this fringe group, always wanting to be accepted, always trying and struggling. And at one point when we first came here to the States, my parents tried to get me into the the academy that was like the, the gold standard for being a member of this cult, this group thing. And uh, they wouldn't take me. They would not accept me. And they, um, they, the reason they gave was there's not enough beds or something like that. But and I don't know if this is true. or not. My parents were convinced it's because he was on the outs and they didn't want to have anything to do with him. So everywhere we went, we always got the cold shoulder. The group itself that we wanted to be a part of always, you know, turned away from us, disliked us. And as kids, we had no idea what was going on. It's because of my parents, bat- my dad, battling with the higher ups and stuff. And he loves, he lives for that sort of thing. Um, so we were always feeling the repercussions of what was happening behind closed doors. And I think it really, really frustrated us because we're supposed to be part of the same, same family. So when a point came, uh, especially around the mass, we asked the question, um, are we sure the the Pauline, right? The the normal normative form of the mass um is so badly flawed and i forget the question at this moment you mean
1: the Novus or the reformed liturgy exactly
0: um and and one of the responses was oh it's it might be but i haven't had time to research it um after we grew up being told that was researched intensively in the years after the council and i think that just did it for us like this is an ideological stance this is not an actual necessarily a, a, a rational or a logical one um and so for me, I dumped everything. And it was actually the same time when um, I walked away, married my wife and kind of never looked back or married my girlfriend and never looked back, now my wife. And in the last decade since, um, I've been unmoored and just like floating everywhere, looking for for new axioms, new things that are deeply true that I can't get around. And um, two, I think two of the big things that have anchored me, one has been actually the Sacred Heart, and for those who are watching on YouTube, see if I can hold it up, it's my favorite painting of the Sacred Heart. It's this one here. And he's followed me around for the last 10 years. Um, and the other is actually the Holy Father. And I think the Holy Father has kept my sense of, uh, of trust and hope in the hierarchy. I don't know what to do with a lot of it. I don't know who to trust in a lot of it, but he's the one figure I can't get around. And of course, popes were the ones who were almost, we were almost set of a cantist growing up. At least the culture, the air we breathed was, was that, even if we weren't using the words, but, um, uh, watching him and how he approached things and just listening, um, gave me the confidence to stay and want to figure out everything else. And so that, that unrelenting, I love the way that you've always put this in starting this show. It's why I was always attracted to how you go about this, is this, this unrelenting love that God has for us that, that flies in the face of, uh, so much else that we see going on.
1: Yeah. When you say 10 years ago that you left it, you walked away, you became unmoored. Do you Mm -hmm. mean you left the circle that you grew up in? Do you mean you left the faith? What is, what is, what did walking away look like?
0: Good, good question. I never, I never left the faith. Um, I can't imagine ever leaving the faith, but, I'm also not ever going to... I don't believe in saying stuff like, I'm a diehard, staunch, rock-solid Catholic. It's like, well, I, I'm i not sure people... I don't know. I don't really trust people who say that sort of things Half the time that tells me you haven't lived long enough to actually kind of get scared and, and experience that doubt. Um, so I guess I should modulate that. Like when kids say that, it's like, you, you need to live a little longer. Um, but I never lost faith in Christ, faith in the sacraments. Um, what I lost trust in was my place in what it meant to be uh, a part of the church or what the actual church meant. Because again, our attitude was remnant. Um, majority of everything that's happening out there is totally infiltrated and it's rotted through and we're the ones holding in, in, in you know the truth and we're the guardians of orthodoxy.
1: The true faithful ones,
0: of course, absolutely, and the only way that we all get through this as a species is because we're all holding on um, with two fingers below the breastbone, and you know, long skirts, and 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 kids in ties, and we go to Latin mass and, and all of this stuff. Um, there's there's such a lot of this is kind of why I'm curious and interested in our, our next episode about conspiracy thinking because so much of what we grew up on was this constant diet of con- conspiracy level. Uh, thinking about the church so that's what i dropped and left behind and that's what i wanted to re figure out and understand was more this attitude of holy wisdom uh, the church is the, the primary guardian or articulator of holy wisdom but wisdom is still found um everywhere else and continues to hound all peoples in all times and god communicates himself and offers himself to all peoples in all times and we have things to learn from them and the church is enculturating herself um, in every single human life, not just in among a people. Well, then that tells me there's so much that we have to learn, and my, um, my exaggerated love for a Eurocentric Christendom that no longer actually exists anymore was inappropriate, and so I need to rediscover my own identity as a modern Catholic living today.
1: Yeah, yeah. What you're describing. Sounds like some of my own experience in the sense of, I mean, very different. That was not at all the environment mm-hmm. I grew up in. Um, of letting go of a faith that was an ideology and embracing mm-hmm. a real faith. I think of Pope Benedict's quote that mm-hmm. is, uh, "We do not possess the truth; the truth possesses us." Right. To think that I possess the truth is mm-hmm. to is is ideological.
0: That's what's what really shook me up, and the last couple of years is when this phrase really came to the forefront for me. It's that sense that that we don't, as as Catholics or Christians, we don't have a monopoly on the truth, um, and we don't have a monopoly on Christ. Like you said, truth owns us, um, and so yeah. th- trying to now figure out what that you know what that means.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's different to say. I mean, you no, know, we can say that, uh, you know, our dogmas. Uh, are like the best articulation of the truth that we got. Mm -hmm. Great. But that's different than saying we possess the truth. Right. 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 Um, You know, it's like baptism. We can say, because Jesus told us that if I'm baptized, I have assurance of life in Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. Now that's that, that doesn't mean that other people don't have life in Christ. Other people Mm -hmm. don't encounter God and his grace out in the world outside of baptism, we know that they do. The church tells us that they do. Yeah. But to say that this is the best and the promised and the primary way mm-hmm. is different than saying it's the only way.
0: And this is why in, in our conversations, we've talked about hell and universalism and, and all of these, um, these other phenomenal topics. They become very, very real and very, very immediate for me. Because like, for example, the, the, um, uh, Our Lady of Fatima was always a, a harbinger of hell for us growing up, um, which is really quite terrible. And um, and it's traumatizing to your faith to have hell be the reason why everything happens and why we need to get out and convert the world and beat down doors and outrace the Mormons or, or whoever. instead of Instead of the gospel and Our Lady being a um herald of hope right it's such a complete completely different if you if you take that away that that god is this big bad judge and if you reground in his justice being inseparable from his mercy and like you just said god present in all people and he desires the salvation of all we had a one episode where we talked about spiritual abuse that was a really powerful episode for me just to Kind of walk with you on because it gave me some extra language i didn't have um and i I think one of the points that we talked about was the um how cult-based thinking works and that it's not just something that happens that we see on late night news and, and people getting rounded up for weird compounds and stuff but it's something that happens within a family level where if you don't think this way and you're not following a specific mode of thought or a person then you are um you're ostracized
1: un- you're on the outside
0: and not just on the outside you're doomed or damned and to have the church functioning this way this is a and i won't say that she does i will say that this is how people have articulated it. catechesis yep. has been articulated this way bishops have talked this way, and apologists are, and, and celebrities and families and catechists are talking this way it's a level of of uh a form of spiritual abuse that does not honor the, the conscience and the movement of the Holy Spirit and um, where we are now as a culture. And it's a desperate return to the old little village state of like ancient Greece and the 300 Spartans holding out against the hordes of, of the Persians. And that unless you're following the rituals and doing the things we're never going to see you again. And you're getting eternal conscious torment. Yep And I needed to especially having a little girl I had let all of all of that needed to go And so I fell silent I, in a big way for like 10 years to try to figure out what what do I actually believe? Um, I love this description of belief is like belief is what you do not what you say Belief is how you actually live. You may say one thing go out and do something else that which you do Is that what you actually believe and that. Is an expression of the god you actually worship so i need to figure out what what do i actually believe i need to figure that out because i need to be really really careful partly because i got to pass it on
1: yeah yeah um like i said i'm going through the workshop for francis's document rejoice and be glad and one chapter is um it's really just a mini homily on each of the beatitudes Mm -hmm. and on the one on um blessed are the pure of heart Mm -hmm. um what Francis is talking about in that is he doesn't use the word integrity, but that's what he's talking about where our heart and our actions line up. He's like, that's someone who has a pure heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, and that's what you're talking about. That type of internal integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that that's something that, that's something that has scandalized me in the church over the past, uh, four to five years, um, is the leadership, the people who ought to know better and ought to be better.
0: Yeah, not
1: having this integrity. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in two big ways. In one big way was uh, just the renewal of the uh, of, of the clerical abuse scandal and cover up that happened Mm -hmm. in 2018, especially that was when uh, that was when um, Cardinal McCarrick was defrocked, and all of um, the truth about his past was made public. And that was when the um, Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report uh, mm-hmm. came out. Now, since then, there, has, there have been more Grand Jury Reports. Mm-hmm. There have been more abusers that have come to light. Um, and, like... I have not been abused by, like, I have not been sexually abused by a priest. I do not have like personal friends, like close friends or family who Mm -hmm. I know of who have been abused by priests, but this is still watching this happen is still profoundly scandalous and harmful to me
0: Yeah, where it's it's like, it's like painful in an empathetic painful way
1: and it's hard it's hard to look at a bishop who you know uh has the fullness of the sacrament of holy orders Mm -hmm. who is a successor of the uh, of the apostles Mm -hmm. who says really great things who gives great talks and great catechesis and Mm -hmm. who you know in many ways appears to be living a holy life uh turn a blind eye to abuse happening in their diocese or to sweep things under the rug because mm-hmm. um you know this priest he may have a problem with like child pornography but we need priests so we're gonna like just ignore that and shove it under the rug things like this once I start seeing those things
0: mm-hmm.
1: I'm like how can I trust this person and if I can't trust this bishop Mm -hmm. Uh, who can I trust? And what does trust in the church look like? Mm -hmm. Because it's certainly not in the character of the people who are in charge. Like my trust is not in uh, the personal character. So that happened at at the same time that was happening, in my experience, was also when the pandemic hit. Mm. And I worked at a parish during the pandemic. And... It was so incredibly difficult um, because, again, as someone who has been pro-life my entire life, my impulse was, okay, when in doubt, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna inconvenience myself for the good of others, even if I don't know for sure how much good that's gonna be. I'm going to inconvenience myself for the good of others, because mm-hmm. that's what being pro-life means. And then to see parishes, dioceses, on a whole sometimes just be like, eh, well, that's not important. Um, that was really difficult. Uh, that was, yeah. that was very difficult for me to watch. I had churches in my diocese. I had a church in my diocese that my diocese approved of. Mm -hmm. who sued my state because uh the state had a mask mandate for uh in school Mm -hmm. and uh, the parish was like well a mask covers the image of god um so therefore this violates our our religious beliefs and they sued the state in the middle of a pandemic and i'm like what what are we doing um it was it it was embarrassing but it was also like Mm Okay, so to go back to this point, I have been scandalized so many times by the lack of integrity of religious yeah. leaders. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say even by even by Pope Francis, um, where...
0: Scandalized by him as well?
1: Yeah, so there's... A, this was a couple of years ago. I was listening to uh, one of... An episode of Gloria Purvis' podcast, mm-hmm. which is excellent. Um, and the guest she had on said... The church has a preferential option for the institution. She's Mm -hmm. talking about the American church. Now, one of the doctrines of the Catholic faith is that we have a preferential option for the poor. Right? They get the benefit of the doubt. They get preferential treatment. Okay. This phrase, preferential option for the institution, Mm -hmm. so many lay bulbs went off for me. I was like, yeah, we do. Ingrained within the human institutional structure of catholicism Mm -hmm. a structural sin within that Mm -hmm. institution is that um we got to protect the institution even if it means uh even if it means uh lack of integrity in some areas we got to protect the institution and i don't believe pope francis is immune to that um and uh, there's times when, so even in the past year, there was uh, the Jesuit priests, um father, oh, shoot, what's his name? He's the artist. Um, Rupnik. Father Rupnik.
0: Oh, he's got those the pieces of art outside Lourdes, I think.
1: He has pieces of art all over the world. Um, okay. And uh, he, he sexually and spiritually abused a whole bunch of religious sisters. Gosh. And uh, the Jesuits just kicked him out. Mm -hmm. and i know that there's policies and procedures for how this is done but i'm like francis just kick this guy out or there's a retired bishop in france who just a few months maybe six months ago now um admitted to sexual abuse being a sexual Mm -hmm. abuser Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay francis like do something about this like laicize this he admitted it i'm like the process okay the process is important but like do you not see how this yeah, on the one hand
0: it's like, this is not the 1930s. Yeah. Um, and,
1: and are you not it's aware on Twitter? Yeah. Yeah. Are you not aware of how this process appears to people? Are you not yeah. aware of like, I mean, I mean, Vatican media, like the official Vatican communications office is still mm-hmm. publishing articles with father Ripneck's artwork on it. Mm. Why mm. are they still doing this? Right. And um, so I don't think Francis, the person, is immune to this um, structural sin of a preferential option for the institution. Um, That being said, I think he's holy. I think he's as holy as our our previous two popes. And his teaching, Mm -hmm. I believe, is guided and protected by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And exactly what the church needs at this moment Mm -hmm. but it's really uncomfortable to hold both of those things to be true right to be you are someone who is in a position i mean the highest position in the church Mm -hmm. you could fix things and you don't but also i believe you're good and i believe your teachings are absolutely necessary for the church right now and both of those things are true it's really easy to lean into one and say, he's just a bad guy. He's just a thug actually. And, uh, we probably shouldn't trust anything he says or lean the other way and say, this guy's a living saint. Everything he does, you know, is like the word of God Mm -hmm. and and we should follow his every footstep. Holding both things as true is more difficult.
0: Yeah. I I find it's very much a space of, um, how do I say? There's an attitude of resignation. Um, Maybe hopeful <laughs> resignation, I think, and maybe that's the word that I've chosen for myself. Um, I don't follow enough of what's going on. Um, I mean, I've I grew up, I'm, I grew up always seeing what was wrong with the church everywhere um, as a kid. So it was just normal for everything to be wrong. So it it doesn't affect has not affected me as much in the last couple of years. I've started paying more attention, um, and what's really been. Um, uh like an attack in in my seat that i can't get around is the level of um of of abuse and pain and silence around victims um i've got a, a loved uh a family member who can no longer you know stay in the church or stay religious at all um because of the level of of spiritual abuse that's been endured and there are no discussions that I can have with this person where we share a common ground except for the common ground of human living and human thriving and that's what's really forced me to reevaluate the role of well us the laity um and the relationship we play with the church and i use that in terms of the hierarchical church uh as and because we are all part of the, the the church as a church but in terms of how the hierarchy exists in this world um they have not caught up with how things work uh in, in terms of how fast well first how fast the culture has moved but also how um how our sense of identity as first world materialists colors how we do and think about everything and then how we export our catechesis and put it up online and and uh on youtube and and so on you mean how we treat
1: catechesis like a product you can buy
0: (laughs) well not even that how we interpret it how we talk about it and how we're so sure that we've got it all right and then all of the kids are leaving because what we have how we are saying this thing of inestimable value how we live and say it is completely unconvincing it's completely disconnected from because because it lacks
1: it lacks integrity
0: it it lacks integrity it lacks connection it it lacks reality we've got an obsession over the sacraments and no sense of actual human living which and this is why i love where the holy father is kind of like we got to adjust to starboard a little bit and move this ship 1 degree back on course because we've focused on certain areas of christian living but we've m- missed these incredibly important areas of witness of where we live out these things. And like we've talked about that the whole last season or the season before on uh, social teaching, nobody knows what that is. Nobody takes that seriously. We do not have a culture that is built up on that. And instead we now have priests and prelates and and cardinals all talking out of a first world materialist um, mindset with a patina of sacramentalism sitting on top of it. And that's not reality. And so that's part of my journey is trying to figure out how does this all actually work together? What universe do we actually live in? Um, Because that, that changes how we catechize and maybe even allows the level of silence and a, a push back into washing feet and this recognition that there's this level of human thriving that, we're supposed to be modeling, not just hermeticism, that's the wrong word, um, hermetical living or cloistered living. That's not for most people. For most people, it's healthy families, and it's food, and it's caring for each other, and it's for a space of peace for you know recollection and recreation. That's where it's supposed to begin. That's our job. And we're supposed to be bringing the things, the fruits of the altar. Bringing that back out to the world and then bringing the world up to the altar. And it's supposed to be going both ways, but this, this hyper focus on the liturgy as an abstracted thing that exists apart from all of real life. I could see where everybody's like, the oceans are filling up with garbage and we're crapping on the planet and we're not operating with any sense of moral living towards the future or towards our children. And you want me to go to confession it, it, so we're we're not in reality um yeah. and this is why i've loved what the holy father is like um we need to i love this book that came out of the, the council i don't remember who wrote it we need to raise the bastions we need to take down the great big walls that we've built around christendom to try to protect ourselves we need to let the life out let it out into the culture
1: yeah, and so I think this is a good shift to not stay on a
0: boohoo <laughs> yeah, <laughs> of which negative is, thing,
1: Which is true and which is real. So that's important. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you're still Catholic. I'm still Catholic. Um, which makes me ask myself right, like why have I stayed? Uh, mm-hmm. and why do I still love the church? And th- the answers to those questions are, largely the things that um, uh, that we've built this podcast around, the mm-hmm. Kerygma of the Doctrine of Theosis, and the teachings of Pope Francis, and um, those things in my, not my learning about, but really encountering in a personal way, those things is, is why I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And I think those things are precisely what is going to um, bring renewal to the church. so so when i think about the kerygma the thing i mean uh we have a whole episode our first episode is on this so i'm not going to recap the whole thing uh the thing that that was transformative for me about the kerygma was the fundamental belief that that god is as good as he says that he is And that his goodness and his love are the criteria with which the rest of our faith is judged. It's the seed with which everything else grows out of God's goodness in love. And if, and if that's true, if God Mm -hmm. is that good, then I actually have nothing to be scared of. Mm -hmm. Um, Either in the world, I have no reason to be scared of the culture. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be scared of maybe eventual threat of persecution I don't have to be scared of whatever political party is Mm -hmm. uh, in power. I don't have to be scared of the things in the world. If God is as good as he says that he is, I also don't have to be scared of my questions, questions about salvation, questions about hell, questions about who's in, who's out, Mm -hmm. questions about um, suffering, questions about evil. I don't have to be afraid of those questions. And I, and I don't have to be afraid that there aren't easy answers, or sometimes even answers at all to those questions, if I believe that God is, is as good as he says that he is. These mm-hmm. questions lose their lose their teeth, because mm-hmm. I know that, w- that, that that whatever the answer is, even if it takes years for me to find what the answer is,
0: mm-hmm.
1: that God's still going to be good at yeah. the end of it.
0: One thing that started changing for me was um, that same thing, like you said, the goodness of God. There's, for me, I think it was the um, it was the hope, um, the wanting to trust, the needing to trust. That that part of the things that have happened for my, me and my family the last ten years was. Uh, constant struggle, uh, abandonment, difficulty, loneliness, that sort of thing, and not knowing sometimes where the next paycheck was coming from and absolutely needing to generate one as a freelancer and needing to learn all of the skills to make it all happen. And so living for me, living in a state of panic, um, subdued sort of panic. And so then I didn't know what to pray for and I didn't know what to ask for because I didn't know if that would be the right thing and if it would actually make things worse down the line for me to get what I wanted. So I would just ask, you know give me what i you know that i need but then the prayer that would keep coming um which would be you're the god who sees around the corner i can't see around the corner i just have to keep going exactly where i am until it's my turn to go around it you're the one who knows tomorrow so i trust in you to to take care of that and so that then's created a whole lot of extra reflection and chewing it's like well if what if you keep applying that how could i ever outsmit outsmart a god who knows tomorrow how could i ever outsmart an infinitely intelligent person who created my intelligence who knows all of my reasons for wanting to go about something and who relentlessly loves me yeah and, and who's who
1: rel- and who's good and who cares about you
0: yeah and then every other human being and now i don't know what to do with something like hell and Okay, I'll accept the principle, and now I need to sit with this idea. How? What could I ever do that would force his hand? If he could always outsmart me, and of course, thank God that I that he will. I have no no doubt that he will because he would. That's what he would want to do. Um, so, uh, I lost my train of thought. But just having to reevaluate that that sense of his. Um, that sense of his goodness, and then to rethink what is it that I I think I believe with my faith. And then if I do believe this, how, how do I pass this to my little girl? How do I, um, what kind of person am I? And what do I do if I think this way? And uh, it creates a lot of silence, a lot more peace, a lot more hope. Um, And certainly it's defanged me. And my need for mic drop moments, uh, which as the son of an apologist was always kind of the goal is to always have the last word, always be right, win the conversation for the good of everybody. Um, Now I can be like, well, I don't know if I'll ever see you again, but maybe you don't need my mic drop. Maybe you just need, I don't know, the fact that I'm here and I want to be a good human being because those are in short supply half the time.
1: I've spent a lot of time thinking about this. What is passing faith on to my kids look like? And the, the answer that I've come to is, uh, I will have been successful. if My kids believe that God is good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That that's the most important thing. So like, that's the kerygma that, that has been like the roots of my faith are like, That's the nutrients they're pulling from that. God is as good and as loving as he says that he is. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, The second thing, theosis, uh, which is uh, in some ways, like it's Greek. It's this like high abstraction um, theology. God's making us divine or whatever. Mm -hmm. But like in my own faith, that's been boiled down to God is making me into Christ making my mind like Christ's mind and my heart like Christ's heart and that's what's kept me going back to the sacraments where like the sacraments felt like oh if you're if you're going to mass and receiving the Eucharist you're in the in club not the out yeah. club mm-hmm. and now it's like no I go to mass because I need to mm-hmm. because I see how how I do not think like Christ yeah. how my desires are not like Christ's desires and I need to be changed mm-hmm. so that, I can go out and be christ in the world yes um it's renewed my need and my desire for the sacraments mm-hmm. um, and it's also renewed my prayer um because if i mean both of these both the karegmanthias have renewed my prayer because a if god's as good as he says that he is that i'm actually free to be vulnerable with him mm-hmm. But then it's renewed my prayer and my own discernment because if God is making my mind like Christ's mind slowly and my Mm -hmm. heart like Christ's heart slowly, Mm -hmm. then I can trust my thoughts and I can trust my desires. I don't Mm -hmm. actually have to be suspicious of them. Now, as a part of discernment, you still weigh them against the church's teaching. You still weigh them against, um, you know, like the golden rule, doing to others, right? You still weigh them but I don't have to be suspicious of them. And I know that it's precisely through my thoughts and my desires that the Lord can speak to me Mm -hmm. um, because he's actually transforming me because this theosis is actually happening because that's what we believe as Christians. Mm -hmm. Um, That has been just a profound anchor in my spiritual life. Even if when it feels like the church, um, Mm -hmm. the structures, the hierarchy are Mm -hmm. a swirling mess.
0: Yeah. Yeah yeah i think for for me i'm not able to get to a lot of the sacraments so the ones that i'm relying on and i think we've talked about this in the past have been primarily baptism and marriage and um confirmation um and what i've noticed is how transformative just those sacraments are in um and heck i might look back at myself in 10 years and be like oh look at that kid talking but how that can transform you from who you think you are into who you are actually, who you actually are supposed to be. And um, a lot of us um, uh, calcify ourselves, like like a tree turning into stone, around certain identities that we build up for ourselves and uh, opinions and biases and so on. But if you if you're taking your conscience seriously. And the Holy Spirit, seriously, and the transformative power of this sacramental living, not just the sacraments, you take that seriously, then there are certain attitudes that you cannot have towards how to treat other people, how to treat yourself, how to go about making decisions. And you can't um, butt dial your way through life, which (laughs) is me all the time. And that's why we need stuff like reflection and spaces of confession and not even just confession, psychology and therapy and and honest conversation with good people and campfires and storytelling and whatever, Um, because we build habits uh, and default to lazy thinking constantly. And the sacraments are these moments where we bring our bodies into not just the presence of Christ, but the the lived um experience of christ because we always have access through our hearts and our minds always have access to the aboriginal vicar of christ in the soul and the holy spirit in christ always communicate with him but we need to be constantly working on renewing our bodies and that's why these sacraments exist for us and if you don't have access to the, the the actual um well to some of the sacraments some of the biggest ones we all have access to as christians are the ones that can really push and pull you into the sacramental living so that how you live changes who you are. So I was just having a wonderful conversation with a good friend the other day and I realized, I don't exactly know who I am. You know, ask me five years ago, I would have had, I could have told you a pretty good idea. Oh yes, I'm this and this and and here's my list of qualities and here's what I want out of life. And now I'm like, I'm a whole lot more plastic now about this. I'm now, and I think that's really, really important to be able to let go of all of these um, attachments and needs you know, that uh, we want to default to. And, there's, and I'll just wrap the thought here with something the Holy Father has pointed out, which I heard six years ago, I think, and I can't let go of and I love. It's where he, he talks about wanting to find solutions to problems and he'll allow everybody to bring him answers and he'll listen to all the answers and he won't let progress be signed off on unless he sees a creative collaborative solution if any solution favors one side more than the other and somebody's not totally happy with it if there isn't compromise that is happening um, and if people are just following rule books to make things happen he doesn't trust it but when he sees creative collaboration and that's what's helped me to realize I need to be living in a space where I'm attentive to the current moment and not just defaulting to a habitual response, but actually paying attention to what needs to happen right now. And that's a very hard place to live in.
1: And living in that place of tension is mm-hmm. a place of creativity. So this is yeah. this is a, this is a segue into the last, which is the teaching of Pope Francis, mm-hmm. which which again I'll distinguish from the person of Francis, right? The, mm-hmm. the teaching we believe as Catholics is uh, guided and protected by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, the person of the Pope can always make bad decisions, mm-hmm. but I'm reading a book about, it's called the theology of Pope Francis. Uh, it's somewhere else. It's not with me. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, anyways, um it was going back to even when he was, um, you know, uh, just a Jesuit priest. We're talking like the 1970s, and he had this idea, and he's brought these ideas into his pontificate, where he has this real strong sense of you you hold things that seem polar opposite in tension,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it's in that tension that the Holy Spirit does something creative, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a real sense of that he has trust that the Holy Spirit will actually do something creative. And that's the only way you hold yeah. attention.
0: I have never seen anybody in my life live with this actual level of openness to the current um, daily involvement with the Holy Spirit. It's always been lip service until I saw or met the Holy and, Father.
1: And it takes a level of freedom because to hold these things in tension means I associate myself with people and ideas that mm-hmm. I disagree with, Yeah. right? Uh, so there's the fear that, well, maybe someone's I'm associating with these people. Maybe someone's going to like lump me in with them. But mm-hmm. but part of this, like, there's a profound freedom in being able to hold that tension, and um, just all of Francis's teachings have been so have felt so liberating for me mm-hmm. because of that. I think his own freedom that he brings into it, like he actually believes that God is good. Uh, he actually believes that the Holy Spirit's guiding the church and protecting the church. And if that's the case, he has this sense of, you know, you know, one of his famous sayings is go make a mess. Right. But like, yeah. but there's freedom in that. Cause he actually believes mm-hmm. that the, that, that the Lord is who he says that he is um, in a big scale. Like you see with the church, like you see with uh, the current Senate going on, but also in a small scale, like in his teachings on, on like the law of gradualism mm-hmm. and uh pastoral accompaniment there's this real sense of like even in the messiness of people's lives the lord is still working um and we trust that the lord is still working even if it's on a time frame different than my own even if it's in an order that i feel like isn't the best order mm-hmm. um we trust we trust that the lord is working um yeah his uh I'm not sure what else to say. Uh, this whole podcast, every episode is about Pope Francis' teaching. Um, but those are the things, right? The, the mm-hmm. kerygma, the theosis, Francis' teachings that have been where the Holy Spirit has put down roots, mm-hmm. um, Even when, uh, even when I don't feel at home in my own church.
0: And I think for maybe a lot of us and for a lot of our good friends listening to this podcast and some of whom have sent us like lovely little notes and some have joined us in the community. But um, a lot of times things happen or new ideas come in that need to germinate and they must uh, germinate in silence and they have to grow. It's like they have to go down deep like a seed goes down deep into soil. And we have no control over how fast it grows or when it comes up. And usually you only notice it when it starts, how do I say, like you notice its effects um, and you start realizing, oh, you know, I'm now seeing a new pattern of behavior that just, I don't know, came out of nowhere and I didn't expect this. And you start looking back and you start seeing maybe a, um, a small plant has been growing over the last couple of years. And then you can trace it back to the ingestion of this one particular idea that struck you as being absolutely beautiful. Um, but it's that interim period that we don't know what to do with, which the mystics would have called, you know, Dark Night of the Soul, where you don't know what to hold on to. And you're out in the dark and you have nothing to hold on to except the memory of the light. And I've loved this one quote. It's probably from a fantasy novel, but it was, or maybe C.S. Lewis. But he said, never doubt in the dark, you have trusted in the light i've shared my wife and i've shared that with each other over and over when things get really bad and we're like okay right now it's the dark time now is not the time to make big decisions or now is the time to just hold the line until it's clear again throughout
1: the whole test the old testament what is Mm -hmm. the lord constantly telling his people remember the good things i've done for you in the past not as a distant memory but Mm -hmm. because as you're going through the desert Mm -hmm. and you're hungry don't you remember all those miracles I worked in Egypt? Don't you think that I'm not going to provide for you now? Right. Even in the desert, the Lord calls mm-hmm. us, like you said, to remember the light. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, we've been going for over an hour, so I think we need a
0: good place to wrap. So friends, if you enjoyed the conversation you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button. It's going to help more people discover this show and Paul's phenomenal work with father's heart Academy. Um, Hey if you are enjoying these conversations, let us know, send us a, a quick note, leave us a good review. Um and hey, come and join us. We'd love to meet you, and hang out.
1: Um yeah, you can you can follow this podcast at com. You can you can contact me through there. Um but as 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 Dominic said, if you want to like be a part of a community and continue these continue these types of discussions, um In a place that, uh, in a community that's built around these three principles and that isn't afraid of questions, um, come check out Father's Heart Academy. Um, Like I said, we're building a community of folks who are looking for more compelling answers to their questions about the church's teaching, um, who are tired of easy and sometimes wrong answers from online apologists, Mm -hmm. uh, and who are looking for a more compelling and beautiful gospel.
0: And Paul is basically a professional mental health consultant. No, 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 no. I'm an intern intern. <laughs> in, okay. But you will be in, in a couple of months, right?
1: In, in a year. Yes. In, okay. In a year. So
0: you're getting there. So people can trust where, where, where it's going. Anyhow. Um, Come and join Paul and myself in Smart Catholics. It's the free online community for Catholic millennials, creators, and learners who want faithful conversations, unafraid of doubts and questions. And plus, we're free of trolls and ads and toxicity. Join us at smartcatholics.com. Till next time, say a short prayer for yourself and for us. And remember, don't be afraid to ask questions. Doubts can be a sign that we want to know God better and more deeply. God bless you.